Welcome to Samford University's Campus Worship. We hope you enjoy the presentation. Good morning. Just want to thank Matt for asking me to do this today. And uh, yes, Matt, I do have six children. They are my retirement plan. Okay, Six of them, that's two months at each house. I think it works out great. This morning we're going to be taking a look at uh, John chapter 5. And, you know, whenever you, you get a book, new book comes out, you read it, often you'll kind of go out and maybe find out about the author, you'll see an interview by the author. One of the things you want to know is you want to know what was the author thinking when they wrote the book. And, you know, as we look at the Gospel of John, it'd be helpful to know why John wrote this book. And so, uh, just to kind of start out with, uh, since we're going through the study of the book of John, John tells us. John tells us at the end of uh, chapter 20, in verse 30, he says, Jesus did many other miraculous signs in the presence of his disciples, which is important to know in the book of John because John, John doesn't really give us a ton of miracles. As a matter of fact, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, um, they on average give us about 20 different miracles of Jesus doing stuff. And John gives us a whopping seven miracles that he did. And so John tells us right away, hey, he did many other things in the presence of his disciples which are not recorded in this book. And then John says, but these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. And that's really a, a kind of running theme between, in the book of John, light, life, light, life. He, he uses that analogy all over the place. I mean, the whole book of John opens up with Jesus being the light of the world, and he talks about that, and, and he gives us all examples of Jesus being God, and then John goes through and talks about drawing his disciples to him, and he brings all the disciples to him, and they come and they start following him, and then John gives us the story about changing the water into wine, and uh, gives us all that kind of stuff. And then chapter 3 comes along and we see this story of Nicodemus. And, and Nicodemus, the, the other thing we have to keep about, in mind about the book of John is John does not give us a chronological order of the life of Jesus. He kind of sticks things in where he wants to use them and make a point. And we even see that in, in the story of Nicodemus because Nicodemus comes and says, hey, we've been following you and all these miracles you're doing. Well, John's only given us the water and the wine before that, so obviously that wasn't it, because I don't think Nicodemus was at the wedding where the water was changed into wine. But Nicodemus is then shown what, what John is trying to give us is that Jesus is above the religious leaders. He knows far more than they even know. And so we see John kind of laying out this, wow, look where Jesus is. He's even above them. And then John gives us the next thing about Jesus is that the woman at the well as we heard last week, Jesus even is going to reach out to the Gentile, the whole Gentile world. And he's going to not just speak to the Samaritan, he's going to speak to the Samaritan woman. And that was really unheard of in that day. And then, right after that, which wasn't covered last week, but then we hear about this ruler coming to Jesus and saying, hey, my son is dying back home. Can you heal him? Can you come with me? And Jesus just looks at him and says, your son is healed, which is John's way of saying, see, Jesus even has the ability to heal over distances. He doesn't even have to be there. He can do this incredible thing over long distance. And finally, we, we start coming to chapter 5. And, and as we come to chapter 5, we read, sometime later, Jesus went up to Jerusalem for a feast of the Jews. Now, there were three feasts that people had to go to, the men did, Israelite men had to go to. They had to go to the Passover, they had to go to the Pentecost, and they had to go to the Feast of Tabernacles. Passover, everybody knows, that's the Exodus leading out of, Israel, uh, out of Egypt. Um, Pentecost was really, at that time, was really kind of more the celebration of Moses getting the Ten Commandments up on the mountain. And then Tabernacles was the wandering in the desert. And so which one of those Jesus was coming for, we're not told. We're just told that he's, he's coming for a feast. 
in Jerusalem. And then John says, now there is in Jerusalem near the Sheep Gate a pool, which in Aramaic is called Bethsaida. Now, this pool, the controversy over exactly where it is in Israel, there's been some findings north of the temple on the north side of the city, and a lot of people feel that that was kind of the area. They dug out some uh, big, huge uh, areas that rainwater would go into. Some people think that's kind of where this area was. More recently, people are starting to feel like it may be in the Kidron Valley, that there is an area down there that kind of fed the Gishon Spring that Hezekiah built and all this kind of stuff, and so it may be down there. Again, doesn't really matter really doesn't matter. John then goes on and says that this particular pool, which is surrounded by five color covered colonnades, and so there was this area that was kind of covered around these. And John says next, he says, here a great number of disabled people used to lie, the blind, the lame, and paralyzed. So this is kind of a gathering place of a bunch of sick people, all sorts of diseases and problems that people would have, a wide variety. Now, if you happen to be following along at all, and some of you may and some of you may not, but if you were, you would see that it's kind of strange because many translations here, we go from verse 3 to verse 5. Because many translations leave out verse 4 because some of the more current manuscripts put in verse 4, but the older ones, the ones closer to when John wrote this gospel, do not have that verse in there. In verse 4 that is missing in many manuscripts says the following, And the paralyzed, and they waited for the moving of the waters. From time to time an angel of the Lord would come down, stir up the waters. The first one into the pool after each such disturbance would be cured of whatever disease he had. And so this writer, the, 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 the person who was translating this, may have added that verse later in. And you'll see why in just a minute, why somebody may have added that in. Because there's a verse a little bit later on that really doesn't make sense if you don't know maybe that, that myth that people believed. I mean, there's no one who really believes that that was true, that this angel came down seasonally and stirred the waters and the first one in was able to get healed. No one really believed that. So we'll leave verse 4 off to the side right now. We'll move on to verse 5 where John writes, One who was there had been an invalid for 38 years. 38 years. Can you imagine being sick with some kind of illness for 38 years? That's a long time. For most of you, that's twice your age, right? I mean, think about it. That is a long time to be sick of whatever malady. We don't know if this guy was born that way and he's 38 at this point. He could have gotten sick when he was 20 and so now he's 58. He could have gotten sick when he was 30 and now he's 68. We don't know. John doesn't tell us. John just tells us whatever disease he had, whatever problem he has, he's had it for 38 years. Not only that, but we're not really told exactly what the illness is. Now, you're going to see in a bit that most people believe that he is lame. He can't walk, that that's what his problem is. So for 38 years, he's not been able to move his legs. He's just been laying around for 38 years. And at this time period, that's not a great lifestyle. You know, he's basically living a life as a beggar. People are having to bring him stuff and take care of him. And I think most of us would probably get a little bored of helping somebody for 38 years, and this guy is just there. But then John tells us the following. When Jesus saw him lying there, and in the translation I'm reading, it says, and learned that he had been in this condition, and really most translations have a much better translation, which is that he didn't just learn that this guy had been laying there for 38 years, but really Jesus already knew that. And that's kind of important because Jesus is coming in to this situation with all of these sick people everywhere and he goes to this one and he goes to this one who has been sick for 38 years and Jesus 
has a plan and has a purpose, and he's being sent to this man. And Jesus comes to this man, and he asks him, do you want to get well? Can you imagine that? You've been laying around for 38 years, and someone walks up and says, do you want to get well? What would you respond to be that? Well, like, yeah. What do you think I want to do? Do you think I'm having a party down here, laying around, begging, waiting for people to take care of me? Do you think this is fun, Jesus? Do you think I'm having a great time here? No. So it's an interesting question that Jesus asked that. It's also interesting because I think a lot of people would go, oh, this is one of those stories where Jesus asks and the person goes, oh, yes, please save me, really help me. But that's not what John records. What John records next is this man looks at Jesus and says, sir, the invalid replied, I have no one to help me into the pool when the water is stirred. And see, that's why that verse 4 may have been added because it's kind of weird. What do you mean by the pool being stirred? So that may be why some translator added that to help us understand what that meant, why he felt like getting down to the pool when the water is stirred is so important. But then the man says, while I'm trying to get in, someone else goes down ahead of me. So there's this man's response. The very next thing that John records is the following. Then Jesus said to him, pick up your mat, I mean, get up, pick up your mat, and walk. Now, I don't know how many of you in here have ever had the flu. I mean, really the flu. You know, some people get nauseous stomach and they have a headache and they think they have the flu. The flu, the way you know you have the flu is you don't lay around just feeling like you're about to die. You are praying to die, okay? Your muscles ache, your head is pounding, every part of your body just wants this to end now. Some of you probably had some major surgery and you're laying in the hospital bed with tubes in you and all sorts of stuff. And, and you're just feeling awful. You feel like your body has just been shredded and pulled apart, and it may have been to help you with whatever thing. And can you imagine somebody walking in at that moment and saying to you, hey, buddy, stand up. Let's go. You're not too thrilled with that person at that point, I wouldn't imagine. That's why it is amazing that the very next thing that John writes in this story is immediately the man was cured he picked up his mat and walked. And a lot of us all respond when we read that. We go, wow, look at Jesus. He healed this man physically. People, that is not the amazing thing that happened at that morning, that moment. The amazing thing that happened at that moment was that this man stood up at all. What happened in him to make him even think, you know what, I've been sick for 38 years. I think today I can stand up. What made him change? What happened into him in his heart, in his head, on a spiritual level? What transformed in him that made him suddenly say, I think I can stand up. I will stand up. I can stand up. That's the amazing thing. The fact that his body physically got well, wonderful thing. But that he even thought, I'm going to stand up. I am going to stand up. And you know what? Here's another thing. I'm going to bend over. And I'm going to pick up my bed. And I'm going to walk. I mean, can you imagine 38 years you've been laying around, you haven't been able to do anything, and suddenly you're standing. You're walking. And you're carrying something. Because that's really what was going on here. I mean, this person didn't just change physically. They changed at every core level of their being. Now, the thing is, is I think this guy at this point 
was walking around in just a stunned look on his face. Look at what I'm doing. Look what I'm doing. Look, 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 I, I got this bed. I'm walking around. Look at me. Okay? But John then adds this statement. The day on which this took place was a Sabbath. So what? It was a Sabbath. Who cares? But the problem was is that the Jews at this point had, over a long period of time, totally changed the law of Moses that God had given to them way back in the desert. And when God said to them, don't work on the Sabbath, they had now come up with a long list of things that you could not do on the Sabbath. You, you, you know, they even had it how far you could go walking on the Sabbath. Because if you walk too far, you were considered as working on the Sabbath. Just because you walk too far. So here's this guy, he's walking around, he's carrying his bed. And so the Jews said to the man who had been healed, it's the Sabbath. The law forbids you to carry your mat. But he replied, the man who made me well said to me, pick up your mat and walk. I mean, here are these guys who come to this man who hasn't been able to move for 38 years, who's suddenly standing up, walking around with his bed, and they go, hey, you, stop carrying your bed. And he's like, no, you, you don't get it. I'm standing. I'm carrying my bed, and I am walking. This is awesome. Look at me. I'm standing up. I'm carrying my bed, and I'm walking. This is awesome. And they're going, no, no, no. You can't be carrying your bed. No, no, no. You don't understand. 38 years, I was not able to do this. Isn't this awesome? No, no, no. You can't be carrying your bed. You know, how many of us in here have looked at somebody's life who has been radically changed? Somebody's life who has been really, really changed. Maybe they had an anger issue. Maybe they had alcoholism. Maybe they had something in their life that they just changed. They were transformed by the gospel message. And here's how we respond to them. Oh, so now you're one of those Christians. Oh, so you're one of those religious people. Oh, so you now believe in creationism. No, 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 look, I've been changed. I used to be an angry person. I'm not an angry person anymore. I used to drink. I used to do drugs. I've changed. Oh, yeah, you're one of those. Do you not know? Have, do you not see what God has done in my life, how I've changed? Oh, yeah, yeah, I, I understand. Yeah, sure. I mean, God is doing stuff in people's lives even today, and we totally just look past it. Totally just look past it. And so these Jewish people... John records, asked him, who is this fellow who told you to pick up and walk? And here's why I can say the guy was stunned and he was walking around. The man who has been healed, he says, the man who was healed had no idea who it was. He stood up, he picked up his mat, he was so stunned, he didn't even pay attention to where the guy was that told him to stand up, pick up his mat, and walk. He doesn't even know where he went. Jesus just dissolved into the crowd. And so this guy is just walking around. He doesn't even know what's going on. For Jesus had slipped away into the crowd that was there. Then we get to verse 14. In verse 14 it says, Later, Jesus found him at the temple. Now that's important to know that it was at the temple. 
We've changed location, we've changed place. This guy, who now has the capability of walking around, is able to go up to the temple. Now, why has he gone up to the temple? Maybe he's doing a sacrifice, which would have been amazing in himself because in his previous condition, by this time in the New Testament, there were sections to the temple. There was a section for the Gentiles, a section for the women, and a section for the Jewish men. And in his previous condition, he couldn't even get into the section, or he could only get into the section for the Gentiles because of his injuries. Now, he's in the temple, and Jesus finds him. Jesus comes to him, which is also interesting because something I want to point out to you. Many times in the other Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, when somebody gets healed, they are seeking Jesus to heal them. Here, this guy didn't seek Jesus. He didn't even know it was Jesus. He never even said, I want to get healed. He just said, no one can take me down to the pool. And Jesus healed him. So Jesus then says to him, see, you are well again. Stop sinning. And then he says, or something worse may happen to you. Something worse may happen to me. I don't know about you, but I can't think of too many things worse that could happen to me than being ill for 38 years. That's kind of being a little drastic when you think. What is, what is Jesus threatening with? Very easily, he's not threatening, he's cautioning this man that the thing that could happen to him is that he could spend all of eternity separated from God the Father. That's what could be worse. And that really would be worse. The man, John then says, went away and told the Jews it was Jesus who made him well again. And so now he was able to go and say, look, I, I figured it out. The man who healed me is this guy, Jesus. He's the one who helped me. Now here's the thing. A lot of us hear a story like that. We go, yeah, it's in the Bible. Really interesting. But are there lives that are really changed? Are there people whose lives have been so changed that they can do such amazing things like standing up, picking up their mat, and walking again? I mean, something that is just, you, you kind of wonder, how could you ever possibly do that? And as I was preparing this lesson, I came across one such story. I don't know how many of you have followed recently a story about an NBA coach by the name of Monty Williams. Monty Williams. I want you to remember that name. M Monty Williams played his co college career at Notre Dame. As a matter of fact, it was going to be a very, very short college career at Notre Dame. He, he at age 18, was discovered to have a heart problem. And he was told, you can never play basketball game again by his doctors. As a matter of fact, it was so severe at that point that he had held like a press conference and made an announcement, I have to quit basketball. He was devastated, and after that press conference, he went to his girlfriend's dorm, and her name was Ingrid. And he went to Ingrid's dorm room, and he told Ingrid about this. Ingrid was a, a godly woman, and she looked at him and did the old Romans 8.28. Hey, Monty, all things work together for good, much like we sang here this morning. 
it did turn out for good. I mean, as a matter of fact, Monty went on and finished his college career playing basketball. His senior year, he was averaging 22 points per game and eight rebounds. It's pretty amazing. So amazing that he was drafted in the NBA. And he ended up playing nine seasons in the NBA. Nine seasons. He eventually retired from the NBA, not because of his heart, but because of his knees. Okay? And he was just an amazing guy. He went on, and he ended up coaching. He was an assistant coach, many places, and then eventually he was hired as the head coach down in New Orleans. And he coached five seasons down in New Orleans. I watched a video of him being interviewed when he got fired from that job. It was done by a reporter on his porch. And, and Monty just did a great job. I mean, he just, you know, you could tell he was devastated. You could tell he was really hurt. He even said that in the interview. But he kept saying, but God knows what's going on. God knows what's happening here, all this kind of stuff. He and Ingrid, his girlfriend, actually got married. They ended up having five kids. Gosh, I know how that feels. At five kids. And, and eventually, after he got let go in New Orleans, he transferred over to uh, Oklahoma City and is the second-in-command coach there with the Thunder. He's doing a great job over there. And he and Ingrid actually, you know, they, they love the Lord so much, they even wrote a devotional for married couples. And they, they just are into the Word, just love the Lord, all that kind of stuff. Two weeks ago, from today, Ingrid was driving down a road in Oklahoma City with three of her children on a road that has a speed limit of 40 when a car from the other direction going 92 miles per hour swerved over into her lane and hit her head on. Ingrid at first survived and then passed away the next morning. The three children have survived and do not have life-sustaining injuries, so they will make it. The other driver of the vehicle, her name was Susanna Donaldson. Now, Susanna had been ticketed multiple times for speeding. And one time had actually hit another car so hard that a child was injured in that car and the family sued successfully against her. She's still out driving until this moment when she also passed away in this accident. Now, just this past Thursday was the memorial service for Ingrid. And I really highly recommend you go and watch Monty's eulogy of Ingrid. It's on YouTube. You can find it all over the place. It's a powerful, powerful message that he gives. And I was really moved by it. And the, I mean, just the way that he handles himself and he talks about his wife and he, and he talks about this is a memorial service. It's not a funeral. And, and people often say to him, you know, you, I'm sorry you've lost your wife. And he even says, you know, I haven't lost my wife. I know exactly where she is. And I go to be with her someday. Now, that would sound like the person I'm talking about who has changed. And Monty has been changed, much like the man we just read about. But... As weird as this next thing sounds, all I can say is God must have led me there. Because as I was preparing this message and I was reading this story, the next thing I found myself at is I was interested in Susanna Donaldson. Who is she? 
I found myself at her Facebook page. Not a lot of information there. And then, before I knew it, I was at the funeral home website where her obituary was. And some of you know that on these websites, they have sometimes a place where you can post messages to the family, to the survivors. And there was such a place like that in this funeral website. Now, a lot of the messages had been deleted because many of the messages obviously were not kind to Susanna Donaldson and were not kind to her family. And the messages that were left often were like, I can't believe you'd say that to the family. I can't believe you'd comment like that. I mean, just humanity at its finest. And I'm scrolling through and I'm reading all of these. And then there was one message, one comment that was left that was written just this past Saturday night. At 9 o'clock is when it was posted. And it took my breath away. And I said, that is written by somebody whose life has been changed by the living God. And this is what it said. I want to express my heartfelt condolences to the Donaldson family during this terrible time of grief and pain. I am the father of Ingrid. And I know that my family and I harbor no animosity towards this young lady and her family. All of us grieve together because our loved ones are no longer with us. I only hope that in time, the hurt of our losses will become less painful. God bless Susanna Faye Donaldson's family with our deepest sincerity, the Lacey family. Until God has come into your life. That's what Christ has done for us in forgiving us. That's a changed life. Let us pray. Father God, I thank you so much for what you have done on the cross. I thank you so much that you have forgiven us in a way that you have changed this man's life so that he can forgive the people and the family and the woman who killed his daughter and who killed the mother of his grandchildren. I thank you for changing this man's life, Monty, who was able to stand up and say the same thing. And Lord, I pray that all of us in here today will wonder and think, have I been changed like that? God, are you changing me and morphing me and making me more like you who have the power and the ability to be converted into a child of the King so that I can go forth and live my life like you did? Thank you, God, so much for your love and your grace. And it is in your precious name we pray.
For more information about Samford University, check out samford.edu.